0: Looking for a sparkling clean bathroom without so much hassle? Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner is here to revolutionize your cleaning future. Just spray today, rinse tomorrow, and voila! Enjoy a sparkling clean shower and tub without any scrubbing. It's the secret to a hassle-free clean bathroom that many are discovering. With over 33,000 five-star reviews, Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner has proven its effectiveness on shower glass, fixtures, tiles, and more, ensuring everything shines with minimal effort. This product has gained a loyal following thanks to its once-a-week application that makes it a standout in the cleaning aisle. Join the ranks of satisfied users who enjoy more me-time and less clean time with Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner, available at Amazon, Lowe's, Menards, Home Depot, and Ace Hardware. It's the perfect choice for anyone wanting to simplify their cleaning routine. Don't miss out on a chance to transform your bathroom cleaning with just one application a week. Pick up a bottle of Wet and Forget Weekly Shower Cleaner today and join the thousands who've already made the switch to effortless clean. I love fast cars, but there aren't a ton of high-performance EVs. They're certainly out here, there. But when I when I get a chance to get behind the wheel of one, it's, I love it. And I was blown away by the Kia EV6 GT. When you get behind the wheel of the Kia, it it is literally like being in a state-of-the-art rocket ship, but also comfortable. The thing goes from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds. It is the premium driving experience. And of course, it's an EV. So the climate thanks you. Sirius XM provides access to over 165 channels in the vehicle. Music, sports, news, comedy, yacht rock. Let's go. Little little steely Dan going in your Kia. Come on now. So check it out today. It is the all-electric Kia EV6 GT. I had a blast checking it out. Believe me, you should do it yourself via kia.com slash EV6 to learn more. That is kia.com slash ev6 kia movement that inspires
1: ed helms hello Do i, get, I should get paid for this recording right yeah because i'm recording on my end i should get a little yeah i think you had to join ASCAP. Um. <laughs> hey
0: everybody it's me you know who i am you know who i am you know what i do rob lope and this is literally um very excited to have ed helms on the show um been a huge fan of his forever uh we have many mutual friends in the sort of parks and recreation office universe and yet we've never really met so this is going to be a good talk um i just know it so stand by
1: Edward Helms, Robertson Von Lowe,
0: Edward J. Helms. <laughs> <Do> you, <laughs> Not even close. I, when you started out, did you ever think about putting an initial in to make yourself sound like a more legitimate actor? Because when I came up, every every actor, Michael J. Fox, Anthony Michael oh, yeah. Hall. Like, if you didn't fill up Seymour Hoff like, I just feel like I'd have three Oscars already if I had a third
1: name. Yeah, you blew it. What would it be? What would your middle initial be? Well, Mike Schur. Oh, God. We're going there already?
0: Already. Mike Schur. It's just, and the, by the <laughs> way, this might have been the greatest, or most artful segue to get to Mike Schur ever, but um, it wasn't. He had Robert Bocephius Lowe.
1: Oh, I like it. But then you'd be Rob, Robert B. B Low. You're, you're, you'd be yeah. below. Robert Below. I don't know what Bocephius, is that a name? Is that an actual name? Bocephius sounds biblical to me. Doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds Old Testament- but I don't know. Well, for, I think first of all you got to go with Edward. You got to you got to get rid of the short Ed. Are you so? That's so interesting because I was raised Edward. I was, mm. you know, my that is my name, and my parents and all, you know all through school I was Edward. But then I would I went to summer camp, and the counselors uh, would call me Big Ed, mm. and I don't know. It just felt like it fit me better, and I never, I never quite clicked with ed i mean edward it just never felt right i i always felt feel like it's an awkward word to say edward Edward, it was like people's mouths get you can like sprain your tongue and then ed just as soon as i became ed at summer camp i was like oh that feels good that just feels feels right and so when i got to college i was just like hey everybody my name's ed and uh, i've never looked back you're the first person that's ever told me I should go back to Edward. Well,
0: only because I – maybe just because I, I, I ran into Edward Norton this weekend.
1: Oh, and sure. And I don't
0: really know, and I've always heard him called, oh, you know who's great in that? Ed Norton. You've seen how – Ed Norton's great in that movie. So I was about to say, hey, Ed, and I heard everybody calling him Edward. He's Edward. Mm. He's not Ed Norton. Hmm. By the way, don't say Ed Norton, clearly. Don't don't you dare. And uh, – but. And, like, I'm Robert on my birth certificate, but Robert's an interesting one because Bobby, I could be Bobby.
1: Bobby Low. You don't want to be Bob Lowe. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why. It's just Bob Lowe. <laughs> Bob Yeah, you don't want to be
0: Bob Lowe. Bob This is why people tune into this podcast. They want serious, hard-hitting. Do you know what I mean? This kind of conversation changes yeah. the world, I think.
1: We're not going to veer off of this. We are staying on... Nomenclature analysis. <laughs> it's another forty minutes of this. Um, but speaking <laughs> of names, uh, I have a
0: wonderful um, producers who put together like info on my guest and, and your nickname as a kid is my favorite. It just looks really good in print. I'm reading it right now. It says, "Okay, there are all these bullet points about you. Born in Atlanta. He had open heart surgery at thirteen. Very interesting. You know, then his nickname as a kid was Chuck E. Cheese." He said he had very large teeth that took him a long time to grow into. It's my might be my favorite sentence ever written. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, no, I uh, I was uh, I had the gift of of some giant choppers from from day one.
0: Did you get them and, sawed uh, off? Because I have I have a friend who had a kid. It was like it was like that great that great thing in um in the this is forty. Where she calls a kid Tom Petty because of the teeth.
1: Yeah, so so Zach Galifianakis makes fun of me endlessly for the size of my teeth. <laughs> like we'll be walking past a you know a, a construction site and there's like a a, a a giant piece of sheet rock and he's like Ed, you lost a tooth. <laughs> <laughs> so, so stupid. <laughs> but I mean, I do think they fit my, fa- my face at this yes. point. Like they're not they're not like egregiously no! large. But when I was a kid, they did feel they they were kind of large and i think uh, the older you know the the seniors on the on the i was on the swim team in high school and uh, and college and but the seniors in in uh, when i was a freshman nicknamed all the freshmen Chuck E. cheese yeah. is really great it's 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 not nice
0: you know like, yo chucky e. cheese give me my, my my grab me a towel would you you like hazing yeah. you as a rookie swimmer <laughs> exactly what was your nickname well I never really, somehow I escaped having a nickname. I think it's because I moved during really specific times as a, ki- as a kid. Like I, I moved once in the second grade and then I moved another time in the fifth grade. And so like those are the- We're talking big moves, big, different yeah, cities. And so you, like those are the times okay, where yeah. like people were coming up with nicknames, I think. So the only person who ever gave me a nickname worth a shit- was Amy Poehler. And Amy yeah? Poehler hit and? me with Rolo. Rolo. I like that. That works for you. And she was like... Yeah, Rob Lowe. Rolo. And she's like, how has no one ever called you Rolo? And I go, I don't know. So that, that has stuck.
1: Yeah. And that's nice, too, because... You know, most of the time I think nicknames are given to you by people that are trying to ridicule you in some way. For example, Chuck yeah. E. Cheese. Yes, that would be, yes. um, and, and And I remember complaining about it at the time and all the, the seniors are like, shut up. You're not supposed to like your nickname, idiot. <laughs> right. And so, you know, it just sort of – that's the rule. Like you're not supposed to like – but when somebody that you adore, like Amy Poehler – Gives you a nickname. That's a, That feels good. That's like a good feel. It's like when a relative or someone you – it's like endows you with,
0: yeah, it, with it, a Yeah. It's like sweet. a rite of passage. Yeah. It's like, man, Amy Poehler gave me a nickname. Yeah. I was super happy about that. It's a good one too.
1: Rolo. Rolo.
0: It's a good one. Um, So you're doing a new podcast. Yeah. It's called Snafu. The theory is each uh, – not each segment. It's each series of the podcast is about a different Snafu.
1: Yeah. So Snafu is the name of the podcast. Season one is actually, all of season one is a deep dive into uh, Able Archer 83. Now, what that is, it's a funny name, but Able Archer is a military exercise that NATO used to do during the Cold War every year. And in 1983, that NATO exercise was misinterpreted by the Russians as a... Um, or by the Soviet Union rather as a um, build up to an, a possible nuclear strike from the United wow. States or from the West. And so so this so the Soviets went on high alert and and it be, and it became this incredibly tense moment that where people thought maybe missiles were getting launched and there were weird, Kind of like misinterpreted radar signals and this and that, and and it just—it's a moment where the world almost ended, <laughs> <laughs> like a nuclear winter almost happened, Um and we don't know. Uh, no one knows about it. It was very much. It was very hush hush, and it was it was only declassified a few years ago. I was going to so, ask how you heard about it. Well, I don't know. It just came up in. Uh, Um, honestly, in this context of like, we have an idea for a podcast and I was just talking with some creative partners and this, this sounds cool. And I just got obsessed. This is one of
0: my also favorite things in, in the, um, in the research about you and the podcast is my favorite sentence. I mean, this is, this is the cold war you've got, um, who would it have been that Brezhnev I think would have been the, the Russian counterpart, Reagan, right?
1: And yeah, and Reagan and and drop off
0: and drop off. I mean, all these amazing people. And this is what I get here: interviewed guests, including Matthew Broderick.
1: <laughs> I'm like, damn. Well, you got to know why I spoke to Matthew. Shit. Broderick it just makes me laugh. No, but do you know why he was very relevant to this? It
0: has something to do. It has to do, have to do with War Games, right? The movie, of yes. course,
1: yeah. it is. War Games came out in 1983. Holy. And the movie War Games for for your listeners. Who may not know uh, is about um, a computer that tries to start a nuclear war and the humans have to like intervene and and it almost it's it's an almost nuclear war by yeah. accident. And then later that same year in November of that year, that actually happened. And so I had a really fun chat with Matthew just about the movie, which I was obsessed with yeah. as a kid, scared the hell out of me. I had like a lot of nuclear paranoia. In the '80s, and he just had such fun memories and insights, but he didn't know about this event. Wow, um, which is crazy because his movie was kind of like a, like a, like a, a punk rock prophecy of what actually. It's happened. like when uh, Jane Fonda and Jack
0: Lemmon made the China Syndrome, and mm. about a nuclear meltdown, and the weekend it opened, Three Mile Island happened.
1: Whoa. That's a good snafu. Uh, I'd say. I
0: have yeah. a, I have a. I have a snafu. I'm obsessed with. Can I pitch um, a, a, an yeah, idea? Yeah, please. The Halifax explosion.
1: Halifax, Nova Scotia.
0: Yep. Do are you aware of the Halifax explosion?
1: The only major news item that I know that came out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, was when the cast and crew of Titanic was all dosed with angel dust.
0: Yes, that was a. That's a good snafu. It was a. My friend Bill Paxton uh was in that movie and he he said oh god we fired this local woman who was the craft service woman and she was just awful and then god she showed up two weeks later in the craft service and god she put some stuff in 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 the crab bisque and we all ate it (laughs) Did, did he get like a lot of people were hospitalized he tells us he told a great story about he and jim cameron sitting on a a doc just tripping balls. Wow. And watching the sun come. They all got dead. Yeah. And then they but but in the public retelling of it, it was like a few crew members. Yeah. Like,
1: uh-uh. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody got popped. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so so nuts. They had a
0: mind explosion. They had a a psyche explosion. I'm talking about a physical the Halifax explosion, I've been yeah, tell me. fascinated I with it. So it's the up until Hiroshima. It was the largest blast in the history of the world.
1: What year are we talking?
0: Uh, I want to say 19—it was World War II, in the in the lead up to World War II. Okay. And I always do a bit about how um, polite Canadians are, you know, and how unassuming they are that they caused the Halifax explosion. Because the setup is a munitions— It was all repressed rage. <laughs> it, was all, um, it was all following orders— Oh, uh, yeah. Doing the right thing, being super nice, like the hallmarks of why we love Canadians. And so there's a munition ship. First of all, Halifax Harbor is the biggest, second biggest harbor in the world. It's huge. Giant. It's going to be a head-on collision between two boats. It's the biggest harbor in the world, head-on collision. A munition ship with loaded, with dynamite and, and artillery shells. And it's headed to the front in
1: World War II. And another ship full of lighters, cigarette lighters.
0: Yeah, <laughs> people smoke, just 100 people smoking. <laughs> and they ha- they have a head-on collision. I was like, how the fuck could that happen in the biggest harbor in the world where literally the newspaper was like, munition ship coming any day now. Yeah, Muni- yeah. Everybody knew the munition ship was coming. Right. They figured out a way to hit each other in the biggest harbor in the world. And it blew... It blew the seawater out of the bed. It killed about, I think, almost three thousand people. What? It. Oh my it seared. It seared people's eyeballs to the extent that optometrists had to come to Halifax, and that, that's why Halifax is the was the leading, um, you know, eye doctor or whatever the hell going forward um, in history. Um, yeah, it's really insane It's an insane Insane But my thing was always like The captain of the Of the, um, of the uh, munitions boat going Well, we're almost here We made it across the Atlantic It's world's biggest harbor I think you guys got it I'm gonna go hit some shut-eye If anything happens, you know Right Wake, wake, wake me up But If it's an emergency <laughs> Here comes a, a boat in the front of the, Hey, that boat's coming at us, yeah Looks like it might hit us No, I don't really know Should we turn? Well, what if we turn and then it turns? Then we'd really hit.
1: Oh, no. Here, right?
0: We'll just stay like this. And it just becomes that, that it's thing. It's one of those,
1: I mean. it's like when you, you're about to bump into a stranger on the sidewalk and you both kind of jog right. the same way. You're like, which way are you going? Which, I, I, I don't know. Yep. And then, boom. Wow, that's intense. It's insane. And no, very few people know about it. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, this is a contender for season two of Snafu.
0: What does snafu mean? Is that a military term? Yeah, it's like- an
1: acronym. It's a classic military acronym. It means situation, normal, all fucked up. Like it's normal that everything's fucked up.
0: It sounds like something Tom Hanks would say in real life.
1: Yeah. And a real snafu, guys. And a real snafu today with Bob Zemeckis <laughs> when we
0: were talking about taking a meal penalty at lunch. <laughs> Where else can you go surfing and skiing in the same day or check out a world-class art museum and camp out under a brilliant night sky same day or hike through the redwoods and get a luxury spa treatment? There's only one answer. California. No matter where you go across this state, you will find a way to play. Look, I love California. Um, And I have not yet surfed and skied in the same day, although I do do both. So that is on my bucket list. It's the most beautiful place in the world. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. You know the only thing I ever let interrupt my podcast? My dog. Take a minute now, please. Pet your dog while you learn about Bark a company dedicated to making dogs happy. Every month, BarkBox designs and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. Every toy is tailored to your pup's size and play style. From squeaky plush toys from BarkBox to ultra-tough, durable ones from Super Chewer. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin, and Sweet Potato, each box is inspired by a new theme and comes with fun surprises for you and your dog. For a limited time, they'll double your first box of goodies for free. I love making my dogs happy. Love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. And my dogs are obsessed with their chewable toys. BarkBox offers treats to keep my dogs healthy and amazing new toys that keep my dogs entertained. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash Rob. So I came home to a little gift in my bathroom the other day from our friends at Harry's. To get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. You know who challenged the status quo? Harry's. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at com slash rob. That's com slash rob for a $3 trial set. When you wrote your famous song for The Hangover, Stu's Song?
1: Yeah, I think think the official title is Stu's Song.
0: Did you have any idea that it would be... As beloved as it
1: is? Absolutely not. Because we had no idea that anyone was going to see the movie, right? Like it just was – Amazing. We, we were – nobody in the movie at the time was was particularly famous. I mean we'd all done some stuff. So so we were making this movie. We were having a blast making it and thinking like, God, I hope this works. I hope people go and see it. And then the the song actually came up on that day – which was Todd Phillips, the director, saying, I think we need like a, a transition, like some kind of breath in this in the movie, in this moment. You guys have just drugged. You're waiting for the drugs to kick in on the tiger. Uh, and I and at the time, so so we'd been shooting on this set with a big grand piano and I had been pl- I just always sat down at the piano and would plink around and make up songs about different crew members, you know, like just making fun <laughs> of people and trying to make yeah, people yeah. laugh or just, you know, because you're you're just killing so much time on a set. And. um, And so Todd was like, do one of those songs, like, let's do one of those songs about the moment. And I was like, well, what 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 is what is it? And he's like, I don't know. It's like what what would tigers dream of? <laughs> and so that was the, that, that was, that sort of kicked us off. And I went over to, there was another, there's the chapel set where we did the um all the, the photos that you don't see until the next day of, yeah of Stu's wedding. Um, <laughs> right. And right, so, yeah. so that set had a little piano in it. And I went over there and kind of worked on it for, I mean, I probably spent 20 minutes on it. <laughs> it was like amazing. Just, uh, but that's part of. I think when you're in a creative space and you're all and everyone's just like kind of firing and you're having fun and it's and you're like, oh, this is gonna be great. Okay, uh, what does tigers dream of when they take a little tiger snooze? Uh, do they dream of Halle Berry? And you just kind of like come up with dumb stuff and you're like, the dumber the better. Okay, just go with it. And yeah, then we just went back. We went right back on set and shot it right away. And I think at one point Todd's like, we need a chicken on the piano. Put a chicken on the piano. <laughs> so, I love Todd
0: Phillips' ideas. Yeah. They sound amazing. Yeah. Well, that's what makes him great. He's a great director.
1: Look at what he's done. The, the Joker and, and now this, the Joker. Yeah, they're,
0: you yeah. Know. spectacular. Um, did I jump all around? I have jump. no rhyme or reason jump. my I questions. I um, You were still on The Office when James Spader came in, weren't you? Yeah.
1: Are you guys buddies? Well,
0: we did a movie years ago called Bad Influence. I love that and, movie,
1: by the way. I love. Oh, thank that movie. you. Yes, that movie is so right. so wild. It's very. Uh,
0: it was very ahead of its time, and and I'm and and it really stands up. I, I I if you haven't seen Bad Influence and you've got two hours to kill, I highly recommend. You know it. what's crazy about that movie?
1: Is that James Fader is the good guy? <laughs> yeah, right. Like <laughs> that's like, insane. No, the normal yeah, one. He's the normal guy. You're the you're the psycho.
0: I was originally supposed to play the normal guy, huh. and I was signed to do the normal guy. And we were in production, and we were trying to figure out who to play the psycho. And we I never forget we saw a rough cut of Sex Lies and Videotape, mm. rough cut, and we're like, holy fuck, this movie is unbelievable. And we thought about let's get Spader. And then uh, I'll never forget David Kep, another amazing writer, r- r- went on to write Jurassic yeah, Park of and Carlitos Way, an amazing uh, writer, now director, took me to lunch and said, would you ever consider switching parts and playing the bad guy? And I was like, sure.
1: You're great in that role. It's like it's the yeah, perfect – your charisma just works because you sort of suck him in to your – Evil Orbit. It's such a fun movie. I love that movie. I haven't seen it in probably 15 years, but I remember it was like War Games. It was a movie that was just like basically on a loop on HBO when I was a kid. And I just... Oh, that's great. I I watched so much of it. So, yeah. James, lots of... We we worked together quite a lot on The Office.
0: He... I mean, his... You know, that famous speech that's everywhere, I'm the fucking lizard (laughs) king, you know, is... (laughs) Is so he I, I loved him on that show. I thought it was the weirdest casting choice I'd ever heard of, and and that's kind of what worked. But what what was your experience like? I mean, you know, you know, uh, you know, Steve's gone, and it's Spader. Like mm. if you had a list of people come in I would never have picked Spader no and it's way. kind of bizarre and wonderful and a lot of people think it was great a lot of people like didn't think like it, it yeah. was just a, a really interesting moment in the in the arc of that show I thought
1: I mean for me it was just like oh wow here's a Hollywood icon coming in to dropping mm-hmm. in on our set you know and I just <laughs> I relished those opportunities to just hang out with with people that have so many war stories and they've just been through so much. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, and as a performer, like there's no one more committed than James Spader. He's so dialed every take Mm -hmm. and he shows up completely off book every day, uh, for, for the whole day. Like he can, you can dip into any scene that you're shooting that day and he's off book. He's, he's done the homework. Um, and on a sitcom, even the best yeah. actors are not doing that like very, very like you're learning your lines between the scenes and great great actors are doing a great job of that they you're still walking on set off book but but nobody's doing it the night before <laughs> it's just too much right. there's too much material too much. right but yes, it's not it's too, too much, much for James Spader. like he's in it and he's so committed and I think he never I think he didn't even use email so <laughs> He's like Amazing. somebody some PA was like delivering hard copy scripts to his house and then he's just going through the scripts and memorizing them and we would do now there's this this funny thing that I'm sure you guys did on Parks and Rec where or or just in any number of productions it's very common for uh, a rehearsal to you start rehearsing a scene and then a director might say all right let's just let's just start rolling on a rehearsal right let's mm-hmm. shoot the rehearsal um because yep. we might get something we might get some little surprise moment or whatever james was always like no can't shoot the rehearsal put the cameras down we're not shooting the rehearsal wow and i was like i was like james so just out of curiosity why why does that not sit well with you why 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 is it not okay to shoot the rehearsal and he goes because they'll use it
0: <laughs> and i was like well so what
1: maybe there's something great he goes no i'm not ready that's why i'm rehearsing I'm not ready. That's why I'm rehearsing.
0: <laughs> and you That's know he's amazing. so intense.
1: And I oh, and I actually so had intense. like for some reason like he and I kind of cracked each other up. So like I I yeah. had a really easy rapport with him. But um, but I think he like really instilled <laughs> some tension fear. and fear freak cre- people set. out. Yeah. Um, but I felt like I could ask him stuff like that. Like what's up? Like what's your deal? And and he he said it was so funny. He's like, look. I don't. They'll use it, and I don't want them to. So I'm not going to give it to him. Is it a stretch to say that he's our generation's Christopher Walken? Ooh, I don't know that that's a stretch. I think that's name. Yeah, I mean, name by the way, someone which is else. a huge, huge compliment. And I've worked with. Oh, I've worked with Christopher Walken too. Love that man. Love I mean, him. he is. Wow. All right, give me a Walken story. We'll tri- we'll swap Walken stories. <laughs> well, you know he's so hard to read like he just is such oh, yes. he's like such a stoic <laughs> guy and there was there was this um there there was this uh so we did this movie called uh, Owen Wilson and I did a movie called Father Figures which which nobody saw but um but uh but I still I actually really adore the movie and I think it's 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 really sweet and uh um in the end and 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 Chris Walken plays uh this this guy, it's the the story is Owen and me looking for our father. We find out that our mother doesn't know who our father is, basically. Right. And so we kind of go on this road trip as adults um, or that we've been lied to that our father really wasn't our father. So we go on this road trip to find out who it is. Christopher Walken's at the very end of the movie as this kind of like, it's got to be him. Right. And we have this really funny, crazy, climactic scene with him. Um Anyway, he so we he comes to Atlanta where we're shooting. We're already well in, into production, I think, and uh, and it's like okay, let's we, we got to go out to dinner with Chris because uh, cause he's just getting here. We got to warm, just kind of like get to know him a little bit, warm him up a little bit, and it'll be good for all of us to get to know him. And Owen's like, I don't know, it's I'm kind of intimidated. <laughs> Yeah, Walker. exactly. And I'm like, me too, but yeah. what? let's do it. Let's so we go out with the director, Larry, Larry Schur, the brilliant Larry Schur, who uh uh was actually the DP on all the hangovers and the Joker. No won an Oscar for the Joker, actually.
0: Jesus um
1: and he's uh and he's just an awesome dude. And so we're all out to dinner at this steakhouse in Atlanta and um and it's some, and it's kind of fun, but it's a little stiff. Like, like everybody's just kind of trying to be chatty. And at one point, I go, uh, "By the way, Chris, um, thank you so much for picking up the tab tonight. Like, this is really unexpected. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. Like, I figured production would pay for it, but I, you know, I heard. And I, and I get this like he locks onto me with this like kind of cold stare. And and I, Owen kind of looks at me like, buddy that you you took it too far like you can't just throw a joke down like that we don't have we don't have the chemistry yet <laughs> and, yeah, right, right right and then he and then he's he like just cracks the 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 little crinkle of a smile and that twinkle that that like Christopher Walken twinkle in his eye when you know that like he's in on it and he yeah uh and he he chucks just the slightest little vibration of a chuckle and uh and we were in and then we just yeah. there was something about it uh and Owen was still like I, I can't believe you did that <laughs> why would you and it wasn't like a daring joke but it still it was no, like in the moment it was like a tense thing but well guys like that like Spader and Walken I mean there there's something about them that's
0: their reputation precedes them and it's yes. not even really who they are yes. which makes me laugh isn't that wild so do you remember do you, are you familiar with this play love letters I mm, i don't know it's kind of a it's kind of a hacky but also really shamelessly moving play that was like very happening in the late 80s and into the 90s and it toured and the the, the vibe was two two iconic men and women, sometimes the casting would be, you wouldn't consider them to be together was the whole point, would do do it for a weekend and and the cast rotated. Mm. So you'd get like, Burt Reynolds and Sally Field doing love yeah, letters or, yeah, yeah. you know, Ricardo Montalban and, you know, Don, whatever. And, and the play is a series of love letters f- starting when two 16-year-olds meet to their deaths in their 80s. And it's the story of their love. It's actually, as I'm re- describing it now, I'm giving it a hard time. It's super sweet and super great. So I see Chris Walken is going to do love letters with Diane Ladd. Laura Dern's mom, I believe. And I'm thinking, oh, that, is, that is definitely the indie Sundance mm-hmm. version of Love Letters. I go, and Chris is doing his, you know, he has torn the grammar out of it and he's doing, so tell me all, it's, just, it's mental. yeah. And afterwards I go, so Chris, this is so cool. So explain to me how you do it. You come in, you're doing it for two weekends. You get the material, like do you get, how many run-throughs do you do? And like, was there a long rehearsal period? Oh, there's no rehearsal. I go, oh, that makes sense. He goes, I hadn't read it. I said, what what do you mean? He goes, no, I read it tonight. I go, when? Well, during the performance. I said, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me you'd never read it until the performance? The letters. I wouldn't have read them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's, I mean... The man's a genius and here's the thing too when you when you speak in a cadence like that with lots of pauses yes. you can get away with with so much because you have time to like make adjustments or like get something or make a choice and cha- or change a gear and like everyone's like oh it's just one of the trademark pauses that he's doing that is amazing you know um a Christopher Walken adjacent story is mm-hmm. that uh, Bradley Cooper does a phenomenal Christopher Walken. Bradley Cooper's accent and impression work in general is Jim Carrey level. Like there's wow. he made the choice to be the brilliant, you know, actor that he is. He could have yes. also been gone in the uh, in, in the in the physical comedy direction and just and nailed it just as hard. And Krasinski is the same way. John Krasinski. Really? Yeah. Phenomenal. We used to do, on The Office set, um, the, the the movie that that John and I both loved more than it seemed like anybody else that we knew was Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to me, is is far superior than the original. And we Amazing. would just do scenes from the movie. And I felt like I was just trying to keep up with him. Like, he's so so funny it fit the physicality it's uh yeah he's a he's he's a special actor and it's funny those guys both they both became such great directors yeah exactly yeah you're right
0: i'm i'm super excited to see bradley as leonard bernstein me too wow i cannot wait for that he's he i i just love him i think he's so good at everything and a great guy and cares about his hair even more than i do which i really really respect of course. I mean, I think, you know, I think people who are both, you know, auteurs and narcissists are fantastic people.
1: <laughs> you're not a
0: narcissist, Rob Lowe. I had this discussion about narcissist on the set of Parks and Rec one day, and Rashida Jones says, "No, no, no, you're a benevolent narcissist." Oh, interesting. What does that mean? And she said, "Like my father."
1: You're like, "Yeah, good, great."
0: And so I'm like, "Anytime I'm compared to Quincy Jones, I'm I'm good."
1: You like to k- pull the focus on you with the stories and the. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I like. I mean, benevolence—a great word, isn't it? It's a generational thing. We all had a narcissistic parent, right? Oh, I, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> I think the boomers. We all. I think all generations suffer from. Well, everybody. We're humans. It's we we're, we're flawed. So, but I think every generation has their thing, and I do think. Boomers, and by the way, it turns out I'm the last year of being a boomer, born in 64. Oh, you're a boomer. Yeah, born in 64. I'm the last oh. year, which is weird because I'm basically in the same age as Bill Clinton, who's like Yeah, old.
1: that is weird. Um,
0: but the boomers are narcissists. They were. Sons and daughters of the greatest generation were narcissists.
1: I'd love to see the sort of psychological math on that, like how that how that works. why Why those, the greatest generation— would raise narcissists or how that you know, right? how that works. I'm Generation X, so what am I? Okay, so Gen X are... Hmm. We're benevolent something, right? I hope. Yeah, a benevolent version <laughs> of whatever the Gen X <laughs>
0: <laughs> foible is. It has yeah. to, and, and there has to be one. I don't know. We're
1: pretty great, Rob. Gen X yeah. is pretty great. Come on, Nirvana. Uh, you're a benevolent fan of flannel. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: When I think of Gen X, I grunge, th- I go right to that. Th- that ruined rock and roll for me. You didn't like that stuff. To look like you're on the couch watching football is for me not an option.
1: I would just counter, like, what if that is dressing like he means it, like Kurt Cobain? Like, what if that's What if that's like a it's a it's a choice and he's going hard at it and he doesn't mix it up. It's not capricious like he's not wearing something else another time. Like he's going hard on this look. Mm -hmm. See, I connected to it because it was like this guy is in some real existential angst. He's in that like he woke up on the couch. He kind of doesn't give a fuck. He's got some rage. There's and and those songs like no they're great there's man. no getting around it yeah never never mind i mean it just like it totally just talks to your right to your soul it skips your brain skips your ears just goes right to your soul
0: and the greatest album cover ever the baby in the pool swimming yeah. <laughs> towards the dollar bill on a hook
1: who later tried that apparently that guy tried to sue them or something yeah the
0: baby grew up to sue them
1: yeah it's a wild story
0: so insane um I hear a rumor that Rutherford Falls with Mr. Mike Sure is being looked at to possibly do a third season somewhere, or is that ship sailed? That
1: ship has uh, sunk.
0: It sunk unceremoniously. Not only did it sail?
1: It sunk. It's sailed for two seasons uh, over the high seas mm-hmm. with great gusto, yes. and um, and we were all just the most sort of uh, boisterous uh, seafaring. Mm-hmm. Folks on that ship, and then uh, and then it just yeah it got torpedoed, like very yeah it, it got hit by a missile. I had Mike on the sang.
0: show; he was one of my first
1: guests, and it was well. I remember he he said we were working on like we were yes. working on Rutherford Falls when he said I am going to do Rob's podcast, and I was like Rob Lowe has a podcast. Oh wow, that's awesome! <laughs> it, yeah, I remember because he that because the, it it was the week I feel like it was like the week COVID hit. Is that possible? It is possible. I think yeah because we were uh, we were about uh, gosh, we were probably a, a week or two away from starting right. production when COVID hit. That's on right. Season 1. Yep. Yep. And then uh and then everything shut down. Um and we were one of the first productions back up during COVID. And we shot two full seasons during COVID. Jeez. Yeah. And uh, and I'm insanely proud of that show. I'm really glad you brought it mm-hmm. up because I, I am so proud of it. I love what it is. I love all of the people. You know how sometimes – you've worked on so many things, shows, movies. Sometimes there's just this, uh, like, abstract gel that happens in certain productions. And it's just – it's the right combination of people. It's the right combination of material. It's the right amount of inspiration that everybody's feeling, and mutual sort of respect, and fun, and playfulness, uh, and 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 intensity, and all these things that just sort of like ca- somehow on certain projects they just all calibrate perfectly. Yep. And you know, I would describe the Hangover that way. I would describe the office that way and i would describe rutherford falls that way it was they were all of those projects were like profoundly meaningful projects to work on because of the people and the process and ultimately the product is also wonderful but i but from an experiential place of making these things um rutherford falls was was deeply special
0: and you can still see it on peacock that's the great thing
1: Yep. Oh, it's still up. I love that.
0: That's one of the great things about streaming. I have a show for me called The Grinder that I did. Yeah, and I feel the same way. I feel like it's it, it, to me it's it's every bit as viable as Parks and Recreation. But we had one season and it was gone. It was done. Yeah. But you can watch it on Tubi. It's still and it's still around. And I, I I love that because not everything that we love or that we're proud of or that we think is some of our best work lives for whatever reason but yeah it does live now in in streaming and that's so cool so people It's findable. It's findable. It's kind of hard to find sometimes but I promise you there are people listening to this who love you in 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 the big stuff that everybody knows that maybe didn't get to see um the show and they'll be like, "Oh, I'm going to By the way, speaking of which, we just quickly have to talk about chappaquiddick I love chappaquiddick
1: Oh, thank
0: you. Loved Me it. Too. Loved it. Very proud of that one. Really really yeah. good. Um and I think maybe the big teeth helped. I'm just saying, think mean, a Kennedy cousin.
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, Joe Gargan. They got that. Te- they, they've got those teeth going. Um, yeah. Oh, I had to work so hard on, and I did a very mild version of the of that accent. But man, that's that for me was tricky. And I've always thought I was like, per, I guess kind of pretty good at accents. Mm-hmm. But that one, for some reason the brahmin that's called the boston brahmin accent yes. which is very rare it's a unusual and very distinct i played jfk uh as well
0: um and it's it's one of those accents where you're like you could so easily end up looking like a simpsons character
1: uh huh yeah of course and, and yet yeah mayor uh, quimby
0: mayor quimby but it's like everybody knows they spoke that way you so you got to speak you can't not do it <laughs> yeah Exactly. So it's it's I I so relate. To, to, the good news is there's so much with again with the internet now, and YouTube. There's so much archival stuff, Ex- yeah that you didn't know Absolutely. existed. Like there are these great
1: phone calls of Kennedy on the telephone. Oh yeah, they're amazing. And and Bobby Kennedy's uh, speeches. Um, I, I think I I I kind of understood intellectually the role of the kennedys in at that time kind of it and and what a force of nature they were in in historical context but when i made when i worked on that movie i really kind of went deep on the kennedys and um and uh you know their father joseph kennedy was a psychopath <laughs> basically <laughs> um and uh and and there a Deeply flawed, complicated family, but oh my God, were, could they say some inspiring shit? Yeah, like they they could tap into some really, really meaningful and stirring emotional expression. And and Bobby Kennedy gave a speech on the flatbed of a truck the night that um, Martin Luther King, the King night was killed that Martin in Luther in King was assassinated. Was it in Indianapolis? Yep. I was going to say St. Louis. I think you're right, yep. and um, and I listened to that speech, and I was like, you know, I just was compiling all this stuff, like just to kind of have the voices playing in my head. But I wound up getting so wrapped up in the content of these speeches, uh, and the, like you said, those Kennedy, those those JFK phone calls, oh. and um, there was there was some just amazing shit going on. That speech from Bobby Kennedy um was transcendent because
0: well, it's, it's off the cuff I mean exactly they were great writers exactly. they were great writers and and they had great speech writers Ted sorensen and all the they had amazing writers
1: yeah. um you know sorensen also is a character in the movie that's right by the way yeah and he's he's fast that that guy is fascinating yeah I mean there's so ma it's just such a rich i mean talk about a,
0: a great a great you know, rogues gallery of classics. But, yeah, that speech was just, that's, you know that it's not just a speechwriter when when it's off the cuff like that. They didn't want him to go there. Yeah. They, they thought there were going to be riots. They thought he might be, you know, hurt. You know, he's yeah. like, no, we're going to go and we're going to talk. And the, the thing that I'm always blown away about that speech is when you hear the recording is, it's clear a lot of people in the audience didn't know that Dr. King had been shot. Mm. And you can hear the gasp. Like when, mm-hmm. when he when he talks about it that's a that's a powerful
1: guy. that's an amazing yeah there was no twitter back then no twitter news, news traveled slowly
0: i always go to visit their grave sites uh, when i have the time in dc it's arlington is an amazing place in general but but to go to see the brothers is 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 pretty spectacular particularly bobby's uh uh gravesite is is amazing because jfk has the eternal flame which is amazing obviously mm. and bobby has a simple white cross that's it mm. so it's like the juxtaposition of that next to his brother the the burning flame yeah and he's just the, the simple cross super right. super and then it, of course there are um there he has some quotes of his like three or four great quotes emblazoned on this little like Retaining wall across from it. They're just spectacular. So if you ever if you're around, you should definitely check that at Arlington.
1: I'll do that. Yeah. They're they're a complicated family, and it's not all pretty, but um, but man, I, I do find a lot of their the big picture stuff incredible and inspiring. Yeah, for sure.
0: Hey listeners. Ever have trouble getting someone on the phone when you have a question about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person any time, day, or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, Call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The weather is getting warmer. It's time to ditch the jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. But there's no need to waste money on clothes that only last one season with quince. Now you can get high quality pieces that never go out of style. You'll be wearing year After a year, Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts for $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering with the top factories, Quince cuts out the middleman. passes the savings directly on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. My producer recently made an order for Quince, and here's what he had to say.
1: I'm really excited to revamp my closet with Quince. I cannot wait for my items to arrive from Quince. You know, I'm a sweater guy. I was looking at that burgundy cashmere crew neck. I love the blue chore jacket. Maybe I'll throw some joggers
0: in there. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash rob for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash rob to get free shipping and 360 day returns. Quince.com slash rob. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to literally long enough, you'll know that I am a big believer in getting the help you need. Therapy has been a big, big, big part of my life and something I think we should be all doing as needed, just like checking the oil on your car. I've spoken about this, and we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We keep them bottled in, and it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get the things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online online. Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Today, to get 10% off your first month, that's betterhelphlpcom slash Rob
1: Have we missed anything? No, that's I think we've covered every aspect of my life. I mean, <laughs> the only thing I want to ask you about yes. is your experience making The Outsiders because that was such a formative movie for <laughs> me as a kid. And uh and if that was a good experience, a bad, like I know nothing about it, but I I just uh Well, I have two thoughts. One is, and this is not to promote my own b- book, but if you ever get a chance... I have heard your book is insanely good, and I can't wait to read it, what, but I haven't yet. Because there's a whole big chapter on The Outsiders. It's it's a blow-by-blow blow of what, what it was
0: like. Um, okay. But it was... It, for me, it was like... Um, because I didn't go to college, because that was my college. Like, literally, mm. that would have been when I was a freshman. And so my fraternity was that group of... Actors, those are my frat yeah. brothers. So whenever I see any of them, it's like if you ever had a frat brother or a sorority sister. Yeah, that's what it's like. You're immediately back there. You know them in a way that no one else will ever know them. So when I see Tom Cruise, you know, I know Tom in a way that nobody else in the world does. You know, and sure. we go right back to to where to where we were, and um, and it was, it, it was it was magical. It was it was super super magical. We knew what what. The audition process, which I go into in excruciating detail because it was excruciating, it was excruciating. I mean, everybody in the planet auditioned for those parts. Everybody, Mm. and you did it in front of each other. Francis had us; it was just a cattle call, and he would say, "Okay, you sit down, and you get up," and he'd mix and match, and you'd have to watch. You know, Dennis Quaid with Mickey Rourke with Scott Baio with fucking. It just was madness. And you know it was like may the may the the best man win. Um, so we, we we knew that we'd we'd really accomplish something, but we had no idea whether the movie would. I, I never thought that it would remain what it what it is, which you know every a lot of seventh grades across the 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 country have to watch The Outsiders as part of the curriculum because they oh wow they read S.E. Hinton, which is and then they watch the movie and just. You know selfishly as, a, as an actor, every year that's a new group of seventh graders who yeah. you know they weren't around for the West Wing, they weren't <laughs> around for Tommy Boy, and they certainly weren't around for Young Blood. So it's that's cool,
1: yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it was just again, that was something that was just on HBO and it really moved me as a little kid. Like, I think what year did it come out, 83, yeah, so. It was probably on HBO in mm-hmm. 84 or 5, and I, I, was, I would have been 10. And uh, and thats that was, yeah, it was intense. Um, You'd have made a good greaser.
0: <laughs> you think? You don't I want to don't be know. a social. I remember I, my terror. I had a feeling I was going to get cast because I kept getting called back and called back and sent to New York and mixed and matched, and I kept surviving in different iterations, and it was clear it was going to be soda pop which is the role not only i wanted everybody wanted because in in, before francis cut the movie down soda pop was a huge part in fact if you now thankfully everybody watches what's called the outsiders the complete novel that's as opposed to the movie the the version that came out in 83 um but my worry was i I was clearly going to get soda pop or randy the soch and yeah and randy the soch is a great a great one scene but that's it and I was like oh please don't let it be Randy. is that Swayze it's uh, Randy the Soche is um, an actor named Darren Dalton okay and he, he's the, he's the one who befriends Boy, and they have a kind of like we're not as different as we seem and they have right. a bonding and they say and by the way tomorrow at school don't look at me yeah it's a very sad good moment but um I, I was happy
1: when it when it wasn't Randy nobody wants to be a Soche in <laughs> The Outsiders I'm just, I'm just thinking I would have been typecast as a sosh. I don't, I would have wanted to be a greaser, but. He wanted to, he wanted to start a, um, what is a rivalry between us on the set? So he <laughs> gave
0: the Soch's, Diane Lane and Darren, more per diem,
1: um, better script binders. Oh God, I hate that shit, honestly. And
0: put them on a different floor with better living arrangements and it didn't make one fucking bit of difference.
1: Everyone still wanted to be Please. a. Please, like, yeah. get out of here, Francis, with that bullshit. Come on, everybody. Wants I to hate. Be I do. That's the one thing I. I that I hate is when directors try to like manipulate actors instead of just saying like, "Here's what I want." Oh, because
0: isn't that the worst? I,
1: I I just feel so insulted. Like, come on, I can act what you want. Don't don't try to like make me angry in real life just so you can get like like I'll give you a better performance. If I know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. I, I guess I have one one more thing, which is I have to tell you my Francis Ford Coppola audition story. Oh! Because <laughs> I have, but it barely, it barely counts because it's kind of not, uh, um, it's kind of not an audition. Oh, this is amazing. So in, um, what was it, ninth, it, this would have been my junior year in college. I went to college in Ohio, but I spent a semester at NYU film school as a visit, like they had this visiting student program. And while I was there, my buddy Mark and I, Mark Webb, who went on to direct, uh, <laughs> Spider-Man and all yeah. this other great stuff. Um, we were, uh, we were just buddies in this visiting student program at the time. And, uh, and we were, go- we all, we were, we were, wanted to be filmmakers, but we also wanted to be actors. And so we were going on auditions all over the city and, just just whatever we saw in backstage, we just show up at, at open calls. And, yep. and uh, there was an, there was an announcement that Francis Ford Coppola was casting on the road, Jack Kerouac's on the road. And he had an open call and it was in a church basement somewhere in Midtown, like some big church. And uh, and it was February, I think it was so fucking cold. And there was like a foot of snow on the ground, you know, New York City snow, which is just gray sludge yeah. and, uh, gross. And, um, so, but Mar and, and to, to do the audition, you had to record yourself reading, uh, a, 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 a any bit of Jack Kerouac writing could have been a poem, could have been a, uh, you know, an excerpt from a novel, whatever. And, um, you record that on a cassette tape, get your head shot, but put all that in an envelope and bring it to this open call. So uh, I had my aunt take some pictures of me. I didn't have have any headshots. Um, But at the time, I was weirdly into this kind of beatnik look. Just randomly because I had these big lamb chop. I was a junior in college just trying to trying on different identities, whatever, (laughs) trying to find myself. I had these big lamb chop sideburns and these little round spectacles and really long moppy hair, like messy moppy hair. And I walked around in a dark uh, in a wool peacoat all the time, just like this, you know. Yeah, uh, as you do. I don't know, like, yeah, like just romantic New York literature dork. Yeah. And uh, and so I was like, I'm I'm a shoe in for this. Like, I look the part. And so we go to this audition. It's five degrees out. The line is wrapped all the way around a city block. And uh, every actor within the tri-state area is trying to, you know, get in front of this casting session. And we have no idea what's going on in the church. We get in line; it's the longest wait, and it's freezing cold. It's kind of fun though. Everybody's kind of bonding because it's so such such a terrible day. And, <laughs> right. You know, sometimes someone would come and try to like cut in line, and everyone at, at, at a certain point you know everyone around you, yeah. and you're like, "Get out of here! <laughs> we haven't seen you yet." Yeah. And they're like, "Oh, okay." And then uh, finally, we get all the way around, and Um, and we, and and by the way, uh, someone like a PA or somebody was bringing out trays of chicken noodle soup. Oh, that's a classy move. It is. That is a classy move. And, uh, and so we were, we, we, you know, we had some chicken noodle soup to keep us warm. We finally get to the church door and it's kind of down into the basement and we walk in and there's just a row of tables with like, you know, maybe five tables with, Somebody's sitting behind each one and literally and, – and Francis Ford Coppola is pacing behind them. And literally all you do is you walk up and you hand your envelope to someone who puts it in a basket and then you keep moving. And that's it. <laughs> it was like a delivery – system. it was just a way to like deliver headshots. But – and there's a huge but here. I'm walking in with my envelope. Francis Ford Coppola comes out from behind the tables, shakes my hand and says, thanks so much for coming. And, uh, and I, and I was just like, what? Oh my God. What? Oh my God. And Mark and I walk out and we're like, Oh my God. He shook my hand. What? That's so cool. Wow. Even if I, nothing happens, that was just the coolest thing ever. Next day in the New York post or whatever, there's an article about the audition. Cause it was, you know, it was a little local news item. Yeah. And, uh, it says that there was a code where if Francis Ford Coppola shook your hand, it was a signal to the casting people to put your envelope in a separate basket for, like, you know, more analysis or whatever. And so I was like, oh, my God, I got the special handshake. I'm definitely I'm going to be Jack Kerouac. There's no question. Like, I definitely got this part. Uh. I'm still waiting for the call. (laughs) I still (laughs) haven't heard. (laughs) And by the way, he still hasn't made the movie. I don't think. I don't think On the Road was was ever made. Uh, And it was. I think Johnny Depp was going to do it at one point. But this is wait. This is like 1991, maybe. Or no, no. Sorry, 95. I think.
0: Um, And you know, now he's making Megalopolis, which he talked about on The Outsiders.
1: So cool. He
0: talked about making Megalopolis on The Outsiders. It's his dream project. No one wants to make it. It's hugely expensive. He's made a gazillion dollars making wine, and he's he's eighty something years old, and he's going to finance it himself. And that's awesome, incredible.
1: Well, somewhere in his files is my audition (sighs) material, and it's obviously brilliant. So hopefully, he'll pull it out and be like, Megalopolis, we need Helms, call him up. So if anybody in the
0: Francis world is listening to this, this is you. (laughs) If there are two remaining roles. I'm pre-approved. You're pre-approved. I got the handshake. You're on the short list. <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> Amazing. This is great. Helms, Helmsy, Helmsy. How about that? That's a good one. That's a very. You know what? People I'm very close to call me Helmsy. Helmsy. Yeah. See. You, you get. You get that one. You can. You can have that one.
0: Rollo and Helmsy.
1: I knew that would be a good
0: talk. I mean, you want to talk about wide-ranging. They always are like, this podcast offers a wide-ranging look. Well, that was wide-ranging. We lived up to the hackiest description of a podcast that one can put out there. Wide-ranging. No holds barred. We, we, we did it, though. We really did. There were no holds that were barred. And, and what a great guy. I, this is, I love this part of my job. I love this job. So let's keep it going. You got questions? I got answers. Let's hit the lowdown line. Hello, you've reached literally in our lowdown line, where you can get the lowdown on all things about me, Rob Lowe. 323-570-4551. So have at it. Here's the beep. Hi, Rob. This is Diane from Woodbridge, Virginia. And I love the podcast, also uh, Parks and Recollection. But I wanted to ask you about your role as Nick Andros in the original, The Stand, a much underrated performance in a much underrated series. Um, How did you achieve the ability to convey so much in a largely non-speaking role? I just thought it was great and just wanted to ask you that. Thanks so much and keep up the great work. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you for, for that, for that wonderful compliment and, and, uh, and callback to um, a part and, and project that was really important to me. First of all, I love Stephen King and The Stand, I still think, is one of his best books. It's certainly one of the first ones I ever read. It really stands up. And I played, as you say, a Nick Andrews couldn't speak, um, couldn't hear. No, no dialogue. I have no dialogue. So you'd think it might be easy. I never worked harder on a part than I did on Nick Andros. I learned um, American Sign Language. Interesting side note, this is kind of getting into the weeds, but it, it, I wrote about it in, in my second book, Love Life, when I was talking about acting and acting coaches. I worked with this great acting coach on that particular project um, named Roy London. And Roy sort of started Brad Pitt and Gina Davis um, and Michelle Pfeiffer Um, He's since passed away, but he was the guy. And I sent him the script. We had our first meeting and I was thinking, you know, I actually am deaf in one ear. So I was, I had this idea that maybe I would get some sort of earplug or revert hearing aid with some white noise in it. So I I, I could actually be deaf. It'd be very easy. And I'll never forget Roy kind of let me talk and looked at me and I said, you know, and I could put it in my ear with white noise and like, and then I would, you know, I would, I would be completely deaf what do you think? And he goes, or because you can hear, you could think about how you are still deaf in your own life. He quoted John Malkovich, who won a, an Oscar for playing a blind man. And they asked him, did you blindfold yourself and walk around your house? And he said, no, I just thought about the times in my own life where I'm blind. I thought that was super amazing. There's a lot of layers to it. But the real layer is, you know, the less artifice you can put into your performances, the less make-believe the better, and, and Roy's thing was you, and you can hear, don't act like you can hear, that you can't. So what, you, what, you, what I had to do was find a reason that my character would let people believe that I couldn't hear. And then he said, "And don't ever tell the director because it'll freak the director out." So it's a very obscure, weird thing. But it's it's funny that you noted it, and I figured I'd I'd share this. <laughs> Probably too much information about acting technique, but um, thanks, uh, thanks for the call. Um, tune in next week, and don't forget to download the entire season because um, there's a, there's a whole bunch of them that are coming that are super super good. And thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time on Literally.
1: You've been listening to Literally with Rob Lowe, produced by me, Rob Schulte, with help from associate producer Sarah Bagar. Our research is done by Alyssa Grawl. The podcast is executive produced by Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Adam Sachs, Jeff Ross, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. All of the music on this podcast was composed by Devin Bryant. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Literally with Rob Lowe.